Welcome to the Dublin Bible Talks, midweek Bible talks for workers in Dublin. I'm Cameron Jones. What does God want me to do with my life? Christians ask this kind of question because they are genuinely interested in making godly decisions. In Ephesians 5, we get the instruction we need to live a life that pleases God. And please consider joining us live on Wednesdays from your workplace, 1pm Dublin time on Zoom. It's a simple way of identifying as a Christian in your workplace. Simply use the link bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. Well, what does God want for you in your life? Christians ask this question because we are genuinely interested in doing what pleases God. And the things that the world values, we want to bring under God's authority. What we do with our time, our work, our money, our relationships. Do we stay single? Do we seek to marry? If so, who do we marry? What house do we buy or where do we live? And we might remember parts of the Bible where God gave particular individuals specific instructions. Noah and the ark. Abraham told to leave his home and go to another place. Jonah told to go to Nineveh. The calls of Samuel and Isaiah and Ezekiel. And in Acts, people are prompted to go this way rather than that way. And we would like, and some people seem to expect, that same kind of thing is going to happen for us as we seek to make our decisions. Friends, what we have before us today in this part of Ephesians is some of the guidance we need to live as God has called us to live. The language he uses is the language of a journey. While many translations use the language of living a certain way, which does make sense, Paul actually uses the language of walking. Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says, So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And in this passage today, we find more instruction about how we should live, how we should walk as a group of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should notice, friends, that it is as a group that we find ourselves walking. It's not a solo hike. This is a group pilgrimage. Because Jesus' death was not just for me, it's not just for you, but it's for us. Not only making me a new person, but making us a new people. Like the Israelites, saved from Egypt, were to walk in a way that was in line with the promised land that they were to inherit, so we, together, are to walk in line with the promised land that we are headed towards. Now, there are three verses in our passage that make great headings to help us in our walk. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, Walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God with a fragrant aroma. Look down to verse 8, and it says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then he says, Walk as children of light. And then down in verse 15, Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. 
So first of all, we find that Christians walk in love. Look again at verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, that is, walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We start by being reminded that we are not trailblazers in this walk. We don't find our own route to rescue. No, we are followers, followers of the one who has forged the path for us. We find the way to walk by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He takes us off the path of disobedience and rebellion in which we used to walk, and he has put us on a new path to walk in love. And that looks very different to the walk that the world walks. We see that in verse 3. But among you there must not be any, even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Friends, in the journey that we are walking together as Christ's people, lust, sexual immorality, impurity and greed have no place, not even a hint. Literally, Paul says, it must not even be named among us. Why? Well, it's because we are God's holy ones. We're the ones he has set aside for himself, the holy God. We are purified for him so that we can be in his presence. That's what it means to be holy, according to the pattern given in the Old Testament. We're not unclean, and we're even better than clean now. By Jesus' blood spilled in our place, we are holy ones, those prepared and ready for the presence of the Lord. And the misuse of sex has no place among holy people. It's only to be used in the context of marriage, of one man for one woman for life. So Christians won't live together or share a bed together before marriage, because even the hint of sex outside of God's pattern of marriage has no place for holy people for Christians on our Christian walk. But it's not just what we're doing, it seems. It's also what it looks like we're doing. Because we together are on public display as Christians. We are a sign pointing to Jesus, the great and holy King. And the way we behave and the way we think about that will seem increasingly bizarre in this world where sex is thought of as merely as a thing of pleasure or for earning money on OnlyFans, in a world where young people will have sex before they kiss. No, we don't walk the way the world walks. But as important as this is, Christians are not only interested in sex. Look also at how else we are going to be different in the way that we walk. Verse 3. Greed has no place in our walking. Actually, the word that is used there is covetousness. It's not a word that's used very often in everyday life. 
But it's not just wanting stuff that we don't have. That's what greed is. It's going further than that. It's saying, I want something that God has given to someone else. No, friends, there is not a hint of that to be among us in the way that we walk. Now, this is really important for Christians because it is not just an individual problem. This covetousness has an enviousness built into it that damages relationship. I want what you have, and because you have it, I resent you. Friends, as we continue to get more people coming along to the Dublin Bible Talks, we may have some people join us who are very wealthy. They might have more than one car in their household. They might have a holiday house. They might be in positions of authority and privilege in society. But we also may have also people joining who are struggling in life. They might have become unemployed. Or they might be on right on the edge or in debt. And, and they don't know where the next repayment is going to come from. They might be living from one pay packet to another. Or they might just be one pay packet away from losing everything. How we address those things as Christians, particularly in the church, and I realise that the Dublin Bible Talks is a bit different to what we're talking about here, but we will express this in certain ways. But as you meet together with a group of other Christians, we should address those kinds of things together. It's a part of the walk we walk together. We've already learned from chapter 4, verse 28, that we should seek to earn an income so that we can be generous. Christian people who have an income will use it for their family, realising that a Christian family is not built by procreation, but by proclamation, a family of those who believe the gospel. And when Christians are generous, we will do it in a way also that doesn't display our generosity as a boast. We will do it quietly, without wanting recognition. A number of years ago, I remember a particular preacher speaking on Matthew chapter 6, um, and, and that's where Jesus calls people to give generously, but not in order to be seen, to be generous. And, and he says that if you do it to be generous in front of other people and other people congratulate you for your generosity, your receipt is already paid in full. And he called our attention to the various plaques that were around the church building we were in. And a number of them said, this is here by the generosity of, and then it named the person. And this preacher said he wanted to get a sign made, a stamp made, so that he'd go to every one of those plaques and then say, bang, receipt paid in full. Bang, receipt paid in full. Because we don't express generosity in order to be recognized by other people as being generous but in order to give glory to the one who has been generous to us. Those of us who don't have things, however, we can very easily fall into wanting that which God has not seen fit to give to us, but to someone else. And we can easily fall into envy to covet those who seem to have those things that we want. So, if you're a person who feels the absence of significance or security in life because you are feeling in need, how are you to manage that? Well, the language that Paul uses here calls us to give thanks for the real riches that we have. That is, the inheritance that is eternal. Now, you might say back to me, well, that doesn't feed me my lunch, and you're right. 
but realise that even your hunger does not take away from the eternal riches you have been given when you didn't receive it. It doesn't take away the feast that awaits you that you did not deserve to be invited to and with whom you will be enjoying it even with the person who has very much in this life. And for those of us who have stuff, who are wealthy, we need to be careful how we speak and act. If you have an income, be generous, because that is what you've been called to be. That is what the income from your work is for, even if your income is relatively small. And if you do discover that a fellow believer has a need, well, be careful how you speak about your work and your house and your cars and your meals, because you know that words matter. You don't want to inspire a bitterness or a covetousness, but instead be practical in your generosity. And if you are a person in real need, do not be ashamed of your need. Of course, you should seek work so that you can be generous yourselves. But don't lose yourself in bitter pride that will prevent a brother or sister from caring for you. They cannot help you if they do not know your need. Of course, we need to be aware that sometimes we'll get it wrong. We'll be clumsy in the way that we do these things. We'll be accidentally insensitive. But we will bear with each other in love, won't we, dear brothers and sisters? Well, why are we Christians so careful about the way we walk with our behaviour and our speech? Verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Let your eyes go to those words and take them in. Do you really believe this? Are you really sure of this? Look at the passage, read it, take it in, this is God's word to us. Dear friends, our new life is the most valuable thing in the universe. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus teaches us this. So let's be very careful that we don't even look like we're throwing God's good gift of a new life back in his face by walking the old walk. Verse 7 do not be partners with the world. Friends, while we live in the world and while we live and walk among those who are not believers and while we have freedom as Christians to do any number of things, we will not use our freedom as a license to do what is evil. Why? Well, we find out from verse 8 to 14, it's because we are now people who walk in light rather than darkness. Look at verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. The phrasing is, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Friends, if we are saved by grace through faith, why do Christians focus on living a godly life, walking a godly walk. 
Well, it's because we now see that it's the only way of living that makes any sense at all. Imagine there's a table in the middle of the room with a great feast laid upon it. Now, the lights were out, and we were feeling our way around the floor, feeling like we were moving somewhere, perhaps, feeling like we were making progress, but never able to get what's on the table. But now the light's on. We see the table, we see the feast, and we leave the floor, to, and together we walk towards the table. To keep feeling around on the floor when the light's on would be bizarre, wouldn't it? Now, now because the light's on, we see the prize, we see where it is, and we see together how to get to it. It's right there for the taking. It's an amazing thing that we humans, born into sinfulness, can now live following Jesus and live a life that is pleasing to God. Do you see that in verse 10? Pleasing to God. This idea of walking as children of light carries the idea with it that we see in children. When you see a child's face and you see their parents, you might recognise something of the parents in the child. You might see their manner of speech or something that they do, and they say, oh, isn't she like, just like her father? And in God's children, Christians, we will resemble our father. Friends, notice that this is not about which job you have. Notice this does not help us work out which house we are to live in. It's all about how you live while you're doing your job, how you live while you live in that house. Of course, you might make different decisions about which house you live in and what job you have because you have different priorities. But those things that were once big, important decisions are no longer things that dominate our priorities, dominate our lives, because it is pleasing God that now dominates our lives. Verse 11, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it said, Wake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Friends, there is something about how we live as Christians that is illuminating in the world. Rather than involving ourselves in darkness, we live in a way that exposes the futility and the evil that is in the world. Wherever Christians walk, we bring light. Now, friends, we need to be very careful about how we do this. First of all, we need to be careful of hypocrisy. For the light that we bring is not our light. It's the light of Jesus. And the light of Jesus will at times expose our faults. And we will welcome that, won't we? And we will humbly repent and follow Jesus. So beware of hypocrisy. But second, beware of appearing arrogant. Never forget that we did not save ourselves. No matter how young we might have been when we decided to follow Jesus as Lord, we are not anything on our own. We are, you are, I am, only what we have been made by God's grace. But we have been made light bearers, and as light bearers, we do expose the darkness, 
not in order to gloat, not to be like the Pharisees that Jesus condemned, who thanked God that they were not like those sinners. No, friends, we realize that we were those sinners and are now wonderfully different by God's grace. One of the things I think we will continue to do and begin doing, perhaps, when we watch the news or see a particular person fail and sin, we will say to ourselves and say to each other, "Ah, there but for the grace of God go I. And we will together go back to the cross, realizing that Jesus' light has shone on us and is now reflecting from us. It has saved us from that darkness we were in when we didn't know how to please God. And we are now awake and we are now walking in the light that his death and resurrection gives. And from verse 15 to 20, we work out, we are taught that we will begin as Christians to walk in true wisdom. Christians walk wisely. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live. The phrase is how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What does it mean to be wise? Well, God tells us through his word, and you might remember particularly parts of the, of the Old Testament where it says, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Psalm 110, uh, 111 verse 10 Proverbs 1 verse 7, Proverbs 9 verse 10, counting God's opinion as more important than any others. What does it mean then to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil? Well, that phrase, make the most of every opportunity, it's a phrase that can be used, well, it's a phrase that is used in the context of a limited opportunity, doesn't it? Isn't it? I mean, when there's a deadline for a sale, or your appraisal is coming up with a date set, or there's the opportunity for a promotion. You make the most of every opportunity while you wait for that date to come. If you're in the context of a game of football and you're in extra time, you make the most of every opportunity to score. And friends, in these evil days, the days before Jesus returns, Every day that passes is a day of opportunity to pray, to please God. And therefore, verse 17, we do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God's will for us, friends, is not about choosing which job you have or what colour car or which sandwich you have for lunch or what holiday you take or which Bible passage to study today or which person to speak with. No, God's will for us is wisdom rather than foolishness. And God's will and wisdom is the mystery that has now been revealed, and that is that all of history is centred around giving glory to Jesus, living in such a way to bring him pleasure with every second he gives us. Not being associated with improper behaviour regarding sex or greed or worshipping anything apart from God. And you see this, this is deeply practical in its teaching. It is deeply practical in that it can be applied regardless of whether you're employed or not. It can be re applied regardless of whether you're wealthy or whether you are in poverty, whether you're on holiday, whether you're in work, whether you're studying or taking a break. Every second is an opportunity to bring God pleasure. 
And that means, verse 18, we don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I mean, Christians don't get drunk because how we behave and how we speak, we know really matters. And we know that when drunk, a person can lose control over their behaviour and their speech, doing things and saying things that they later regret. No, we're not going to fill ourselves with something that leads to behaviour that is out of step with God's will. Instead, what do we do? We be filled with the Spirit. Do you see that there? Friends, be filled with the Spirit that makes you walk God's way. Be so filled with God's breath, so influenced by the word that his breath carries, that our walk pleases God. And see how the filling with God's spirit, that phrase there, is associated with the speaking of God's word in verse 19. Do you see? Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are filled by God's people speaking his word to us. That, friends, is why Christians sing when we get together. The, the focus of Christian singing is teaching each other the truths about God. It's not about whipping up emotion. Notice that singing is not a music ministry. It's not an emotion ministry. It's a word ministry. So I'd, I'd, I'd recommend you be cautious about singing lots of songs about what you are doing. I do this. I do that. No, singing is to speak the truth about God to each other for his glory's sake. We sing and open our ears to the people around us singing their songs so that we will learn from them. It's not something designed to create personal spiritual experience. We're not called to such selfish individualism. I sometimes get a little concerned by singing that leads to closing eyes and shutting other people out. Proper Christian singing is corporate theological education, building each other up in our knowledge and love of God. It is by this that we are filled with his spirit so that our wills are conformed according to his will. This corresponds completely with what we learned earlier for the work that we are prepared for by sermons and Bible studies and evangelistic talks that we were told about in chapter 4, verse 11. Look back there. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. And how do we act? Now, having been prepared for our ministry, verse 15, we speak the truth in love to each other. The truth of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, who is the focus of God's will for all the universe by his death and resurrection and his ascension, by whom we are saved, by whom we are reconciled, by whom we are built into a new people across all human boundaries, by whom we are made co-inheritors of the kingdom of God itself, by whom we are made a new people who walk a different walk in this world, walking a way that brings God glory. 
And with that in mind, we see that those questions that we so often want answers to about guidance are really not what God seems most interested in guiding us about. But he gives us guiding principle that we who depend on Jesus will use every day, every opportunity to live lives that are completely devoted to his glory and to see his glory is shown in his people in the way that we act and speak toward each other being filled with the Spirit, transformed according to His will, devoted to what pleases Him. And we know that is all focused on Jesus, and who is recognised by us as being the Lord of all, whose people walk in His footsteps, a way of love for one another as children of light, children of God Himself, walking the walk that is informed by the wisdom of knowing God's plan throughout all of history, and living in the light of that knowledge, the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the recording of the Dublin Bible Talks. You can join us in real time on Wednesdays at 1pm Dublin time on Zoom, bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks.